Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. So glad you chose to join us this morning or got dragged here by a relative uh, after Thanksgiving, if that's your case. Glad you're here too. Uh, and for all of you joining us online, great to have you with us as well. Um, we are now, as Jason just said, we're, we're preparing kind of for, as a church for Advent, but we aren't there yet. We're in a week uh, prior to that, and I would call this week a, a week, really, of, of preparation. And for some of us, we've been experiencing that already, kind of in our homes. We're kind of preparing our homes. We're preparing meals. We're preparing schedules. We're preparing lists of stuff we got to buy for people. Uh, and in the midst of all this busyness and the stuff that can kind of characterize this season for all of us, I thought it'd be appropriate for us just to press pause for a moment or two and to take a deep breath together and to say, how about we prepare our hearts for the season that's ahead? And uh, I hope that's what we get to experience this morning is really preparing our hearts uh, to meet Jesus and encounter him in some significant ways. In order to do that, I thought it would be appropriate, let's look at the life of somebody who really lived their life preparing for Jesus. There's no better example of this really in the Bible than John the Baptist. He was, his whole life mission was centered around preparing the way for Jesus. Matthew 3, 3 uh, puts it this way, he, quoting Isaiah, the prophet, says, a, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. This is John speaking of himself, who he is. Uh, I'm a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's who John said he was. That's what Jesus said John was. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is the story of John the Baptist. Let me give a little bit of a, a kind of history of John the Baptist. So from a very early age, before he was even born, he was set apart from this, for this task of really preparing the way for Jesus. And then as he grows up, he takes this Nazarene vow and he does some really interesting things in terms of how he lives his life. He goes out into the desert, into the wilderness. He wears camel uh, fur for clothes. That's a bold choice. Um, and then uh, in, you know, his diet, according to the Bible, we learn his diet is locusts and honey. Um, I guess the honey was to make the grasshoppers go down smoother when you swallow them, something like that. I don't know. Uh, but, but that's, I think, you know, part of the John the Baptist narrative uh, a little bit. And then he comes on the scene and he gains this huge following. And people start following him, and, and we're going to look at three seasons in John's life as a prophet and how he lives his mission out in his life. You know, as I, as I reflect on what John has to teach us, I think we can learn from him the Christian life is not about achieving fame or success or a bigger platform the Christian life is really about us placing the spotlight more and more on Jesus, on Jesus. To put it another way, I would say this. Here's how I would sum up John the Baptist's life and hopefully our lives as well. More of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. 
So let's look at these three seasons in John's life and his ministry together. And I have a feeling each and every person here can identify with one of these seasons in one way or another. Because all of us here are experiencing different things in life. And, but, but for the vast majority of us, we will fall under one of these categories of seasons of life. The first one is this. The, the season is summer. Now, if I'm, I think about it in terms of my garden, right? Some of you have heard me talk about my garden before. I'm not like a great gardener, but I enjoy gardening. And so summer is this time where vegetables are like popping out of nowhere. It's like amazing. Like you're, you're there one day, you'll go through the garden and you're like, oh my goodness, the next day there's a squash there. I had no idea that squash was even there. And, and cucumbers are growing and, and you're, the, the beans are growing just as quick as you can pick them. And it's amazing. Growth is just happening all around you and it's happening quickly. And... John the Baptist is experiencing that kind of season when he first encounters Jesus in this passage. His ministry is growing. Everything is looking great. People are coming from miles around to see what John the Baptist is doing, to hear him preach. And he's preaching this message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's baptizing people as a symbol of that repentance. And he gets such popularity that Jesus himself goes to John the Baptist and says, would you baptize me? Now, John the Baptist is taken aback at this and he says, hey, 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 no, no. My whole mission in life is to prepare the way for you. I don't even deserve to untie your sandals, much less baptize you. And Jesus says to John the Baptist, actually, we need to do this, John, so that all the things that were written about me can come true. He didn't do it for repentance. He did it as an act of obedience to the Father and also to receive from the Father. So here is that scene as John the Baptist then baptizes Jesus. You ready? Here we go. This is the, the apex of John the Baptist's ministry. Matthew 3, 16 to 17 says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, John gets the opportunity to be a part of something that no one else in human history has experienced before. He experiences the Trinity in one foul swoop, in one setting as he's baptizing Jesus. He hears the Father speaking. He sees the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and he sees the Father blessing the Son and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Unbelievable. You talk about highlights in terms of ministry. Man, there it is, right? I mean, if, if he was in our day and age, he'd be like, rolling out seminars on baptism, you know. I'm on the most amazing baptizer there ever was. Look at this. It's unbelievable. You know, YouTube things, all of that. But he doesn't. He's simply in the background pointing people to Jesus. And this passage actually tells us a lot about this whole act of baptism. What actually happens in here is really, really significant. Have you ever noticed this? This is before Jesus does anything in his ministry at all. As far as we know, he hasn't healed people yet. He hasn't cast out demons yet. He hasn't delivered massive sermons to groups of people yet. And still, 
the Father speaks over him, You are my beloved Son. I am well pleased in you. Whoa. How can that be? Jesus hasn't done anything significant yet. Because it's not based off of what we do. It's based off our relationship with the Father. Even for Jesus, it was based off of his relationship with the Father, the Father expressing his love for him. Baptism is a physical sign of that. Not based off of anything that we do. It's based off of the Father's love for us. And Jesus is receiving that in this moment. Many of us have never had a father speak those words over us. I'm proud of you. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. Even for those of us who haven't, this act is an opportunity to experience that from our heavenly father in a real, tangible way. And Jesus models that for us. He models that way of life for us. So John doesn't draw attention to himself in this passage. He's, he's in the background. He's hit the apex of ministry, if you will. Crowds are following him. You could not get more popular than John the Baptist. More influence, let's say, in today's vernacular, perhaps. But then he encounters another season. And he encounters fall. And if I think about my garden in fall, there's still some plants that are growing, but, but some of them start to fade away. The beans may fade away before everything else. The peas have started to go. There's just fewer and fewer things that are really growing until that frost hits. And you start to see this ebbing away, this slipping away of life. And in the case of John the Baptist, people are starting to go to Jesus and his disciples now rather than to be baptized, rather than to go to John and his disciples to be baptized. And John has a very, very important decision to make because John's disciples start to fight with Jesus' disciples. As you can imagine, they probably would. That's what happens, right? And so they start to argue with each other. And John's disciples go to him and say, hey, this guy Jesus is getting all the attention now. We got to do something about this. John says this in John 3, 27 to 30. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. More of Jesus, less of me. That summarizes John's life in one verse. He must become greater, I must become less. Now, how is he able to do that? Verse 27 gives us a little bit of a hint there. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He realizes any blessing that I have, any gift that I have, anything of value that I bring to the world, any following that I have, any fame that I have, anything that I have that I can give to this world is because it's been given to me from God himself. Therefore, I am just a steward of this gift that I'm given. So difficult for us to internalize this. If I think about it even visually, the message says this. 
The message translation of this passage says, This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. So here's, here's physically what this passage is telling us. John is saying, I've been the center of attention for a while, but that's not my job. I'm supposed to point people to Jesus. Jesus, look at Jesus. He's the center. He's the center of attention. I'm not. My job is simply to fade into the background and to point people to Jesus more and more because he is the one that deserves all the glory, the spotlight. It's all about him. It's about him, not me. And that's a tough one for us to internalize. I think our society doesn't place a real high premium on that, right? About putting ourselves in the background. We, we prefer to be on stage or to be, you know, notable out there, to, to have a following, whether it's on social media or on YouTube or even a physical presence, you know? Like, I, I have a fear that sometimes people think that the apex of your spiritual journey is being on a stage talking to people like this. Let me tell you, <laughs> this isn't the apex, Okay, I love the, that God's blessed me with the ability to do this. This is a gift from him, but this is, all this is is a gift from Jesus. That's it. This is not the apex of your spiritual life. The majority of your spiritual life is lived off of a stage, off of a platform, and it's what you do in those moments that really matters. This, yeah, this matters, but what we do in the day-to-day, -day, how we treat the people next to us, those things matter deeply. And those are our opportunities to point people to Jesus in a very practical, practical way. I was thinking about this principle even when we went to Senegal. Uh, Sherwin and I, last week, we, we talked a little bit about our experience in, in Senegal. And I, you know, I think we, we spoke seven minutes about it. We could have talked seven hours about how significant that time was. Um, and for me, I just think about the team that we traveled with. So here's a picture of, of this team that went with us. And I look at this team, and it literally, I could go on an hour conversation about how each of these people live this principle out more of Jesus, less of me in the context of a week. I mean, such talented, gifted godly people who instead of saying, hey, I'm going to make this trip about me and my platform, instead they served people who will, they'll never get credit for on this earth, but they were there serving selflessly and, and pointing people to Jesus time after time after time. And I was so grateful just to be around that. Um, but there was someone who was part of the trip who wasn't there. And even Sherwin and I alluded to this last week. Um, his name was Doug Jackson. Now, Doug was a member of the Browncroft community for quite a while, um, served as a missionary, um, was a professor, pastor, associate pastor in, in Browncroft for a while. I found out after I was talking with Lynn this past week, his wife Lynn was on the trip with us. But Doug passed away three years ago, and unexpectedly, and yet... Um, he was talked about a lot on this trip. And I noticed something, because I didn't know Doug super well, but I noticed something that happened as people were discussing him. There were often tears that would come to people's eyes. 
and they were talking about the influence that he had had on their life. Now, this is Doug teaching. He spent nine, he went over to Senegal nine times, not to, to be on some huge platform, but to teach leaders in that community about who Jesus was and how to unpack the Bible with their brothers and sisters and how to do that well. And he wasn't teaching to large groups. It was maybe eight to 12 people that he was talking to, yet he did it consistently, so consistently that the people in Senegal referred to him as their pastor, that consistently. And I watched as they referred to him and as they started to cry, as they thought, talked about the impact that he had had on their life. And it hit me, isn't that what we all want? We, I think we all crave that when we're gone, whenever God chooses to take us home, that people would look and go, there would be tears in their eyes as they think about the influence that we've had in their life, right? I mean, I think selfishly, in a sense, we, we want that. But the example that we get in the life of Doug in the life of John the Baptist, is that influence doesn't come as we point people to us. That influence comes as we point people to Jesus. Say, more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. And we begin to fade into the background. Well, there's another... Oh, I forgot to read this too. This is another thing that the church gave us I read the first half of this note last week. Um, it's from their church to us. This is the actual letter itself. It's written in French, so I can't read it. Um, but thankfully, I had someone translate it, so here it is. Um, so here's what I'm going to read off of. But here's the second half of the, the letter that I didn't read last week. It says this. We would also like to express our thanks to Lynn Jackson, Doug's wife, who was on the trip with us, the wife of our belated pastor, Doug Jackson, who is now with the Lord. Because for many years, you allowed Pastor Doug Jackson to come with his team to bless us through the word of God. We know it is not easy to let your husband travel to another country, but you did it because of your love for the Lord, as well as for the ministry here in the St. Louis area. To the whole church, at BCC and to the team here present, we say thank you again for everything and to God be the glory. I love that. It's honoring to Lynn, it's honoring to Doug, and it's honoring to Jesus, which, uh, which is the whole reason why they did everything that they were doing in the first place. We all long for that. I long for that in my life. And then I've and inevitably, we each will experience a winter in our lives. You're going to experience at least one. We all come to that end at one point or another. Many of us hit winters at multiple seasons of our life. When I think about my garden, right, there's no growth in a winter. It looks desolate. Now, that's from the outside. Stuff is still happening underneath the surface of the soil, but I can't see it. I don't see anything visibly in my garden during wintertime. And John the Baptist hits one of these kind of moments. He'd followed Jesus, but it ended up landing him in prison. 
And John the Baptist is trying to reconcile, how do I make this work? I have set the whole uh, world up for this Messiah, and this is not making sense because I am in a prison. So he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, are you the one that we've been expecting or should we expect someone else? It's a really real question. And Jesus doesn't bash him over the head. He, he respects the doubt that defines John the Baptist's life at this time in his life during winter. Here's how Jesus responds in Luke 7, 21 to 23. It says, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. So, here's the example that I gave you before, right? John the Baptist has spent his whole life doing this. Jesus, you're at the center. Jesus, this is all about Jesus. And I'm pointing people to him. But then... He finds himself not just in the background, but here, in prison, by himself, lonely, doubting. Jesus, are you the one that we should be expecting, or should I be looking for someone else? Jesus, are you going to come through? Jesus, I've trusted in you. Is it worth it? I think about some of us who are here. I think there's probably at least a handful of us, at least, that feel like that right now. Jesus, I've been pointing people to you. Jesus, I, I believe in you. But Jesus, things are not working out the way that I want them to. Jesus, if you are real, why won't you heal this relationship? Jesus, if you are real, why did someone I love have to die? Jesus, if you are real, why isn't school planning out the way that I want it to? Jesus, if you are real, the list goes on and on and on. Why don't you show up in this way? Why don't you show up in that way? And those are real doubts. Jesus doesn't push John away for asking those questions. I love what Jill said as she was leading us in worship. Sometimes the miracle isn't the actual thing we're looking for, but it's God sustaining us in the midst of the, the brokenness, in the midst of the weariness. It's him sustaining us through something we couldn't get through on our own. And sometimes those winters point us to that. I think even about my own life. I, I gathered for Thanksgiving. My sister and her family came over to our house. And uh, it was three Thanksgivings ago that I spent with my sister as well. But that was a, a pretty dramatically different situation in that we were carrying, both of my parents had COVID during that Thanksgiving. My mom had Parkinson's disease and dementia. And my dad, at the time, although we didn't know it, had cancer, and so it had ra ravaged 
him as well. And my mom ended up uh, passing away from complications of COVID three weeks later. So it was three years ago that we were experiencing that. And I watched my mom as she was fading during this process. But something stood out to me. My sister and I have actually remarked about this before. Even though my mom was fading physically and mentally, there was something about her spirit that was still there. It was remarkable. You could, you could be talking with her, but then you would say, hey, do you want to pray? And she would, she would go, oh, yes. And then proceed to pray these prayers from the depths of her spirit in a way that I, she wouldn't articulate anything else but it was her spirit was alive and well. And she showed me that even in the midst of darkness, in the depths of winter, I don't know if a, as a human being you can experience much more than that type of a winter, but she pointed me to the fact that Jesus can even sustain you in the midst of the most brutal winter that you can imagine. Here's how Jesus responds to John the Baptist as he says this, Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John. Born of women, he just means all humanity. There's no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, imagine receiving that kind of compliment from Jesus. He's saying, if you want to look at the way to live a life, John the Baptist is the model. John the Baptist, there's no one greater than John. But the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Well, I think it means that we have access to the Holy Spirit in a way that John didn't in his life. So if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as a, a as someone to guide you, to comfort you, to lead you into truth in a way that John even didn't have access to. So even the least of us has that in this life. Jesus never tells, Jesus lists off all of these things in his life that are predicted about the Messiah. He said the, the blind are, are healed, they receive sight, the good news is being preached to the poor. The list goes on and on and on. Jesus tells him all of these messianic predictions that John would know really, really well. But he doesn't mention one thing. Isaiah 61.1 is one of the premium examples of this. He doesn't say, I will set the captives free. Why? We don't know for sure, but here's my guess. Because Jesus wanted John to know, you know what? You're not going to make it out of this one. Will you trust me anyway, even in the midst of your darkest winter? So as we bring our doubts to Jesus, as we bring him our pain, as we bring him our struggle, the invitation is for us to still trust in him despite the circumstances of winter. So let's reflect on this together as a church, as individuals. I don't know what season you're in right now, but let's look at the seasons together. And I thought, well, let's ask ourselves questions depending on what season we're in. So 
I'll have them here for us. The idea is to have more of Jesus and, and less of me. So if you're going through a summer season, awesome, amazing. Please celebrate summer. It's beautiful. I love summer. Summer's my favorite time of the year. But here's the question in a summer season. Do I put the spotlight on Jesus rather than my success? It's a convicting one during a season of success and growth. Or am I just pointing people back to me? Second, fall. Am I willing to be seen as a failure in the world's eyes if it means that others can experience Jesus? Oh, Lord. I hate even putting that question up there. <laughs> I don't want to be seen as a failure. I, I don't know. Maybe there's people here that don't struggle with that. Like, oh, I don't mind being a failure. That's cool. I hate being a failure. I don't like it at all. There's, I could tell you stories and stories about failure, and each one of them triggers me even more. But am I willing to be viewed as a failure in the world's eyes if it means that people get pointed to Jesus? Sometimes we have this, this thought, especially in American society, that the Christian life is always about up and to the right. Right? If I just keep on doing stuff the right way, it's always up and to the right. It's always growth. Unfortunately, that's just not true. And sometimes you can be doing the exact right thing in God's eyes and still not be experiencing growth. That's just the example even that John the Baptist sets for us. Finally, winter. Can I bring my doubts to Jesus and trust him with my future? Oh, in the season of winter, that takes everything we have to be able to do that. But I pray that for those of us who are experiencing that today, we can internalize that. You know, I don't want just this to be theory for us as we think about entering this, preparing our hearts. I want this to actually be applicable for us. So one of the things, ways we can practically do this is if, if you haven't been baptized yet, I'd highly recommend that. Let me actually say this. A pastoral moment for you perhaps okay if you have yet to be baptized if you've placed your faith in Jesus this doesn't this doesn't make you a Christian to be baptized it's declaring that I've made this decision already with my life but that doesn't mean that it's not significant or doesn't have spiritual power to the actual event this actual event is very important for us um, no one, so let me also say this, no one on staff gets a toaster if a certain number of people get baptized, okay? So I got nothing in the game, all right? I, I, I'm not winning an award or anything like that for, for most baptisms per church, I, okay? This is strictly out of, out of love for you and wanting you to experience the depth of, first of all, saying, hey, this is my story. This is my failure. This is my success. It's all for Jesus. And every time we do that, the spotlight goes off of us and goes on to Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's also to hear those words spoken over you. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased in you. So we want to to create a space where that's possible. So December 17th, we're actually gonna have a baptism service 
where we can do that, where we can participate in that. So if you have made that decision for your life and have yet to make that decision, you can go to browncroft.org baptism and uh, find out more about the baptism process there. Please, it'll be awesome. It'll be a time for us to celebrate together as a family. But I realize that regardless of what season you're in, we all need to take it a step further kind of in our lives. We all need to decide from God to hear God's voice and to obey God's voice. What is it the next thing that you're asking me to do, Lord? So I want to give us just even a moment of quiet. I know we don't get many moments of quiet kind of in our life. And in this moment, I just ask you, just close your eyes and invite God to speak to you. Maybe for some of you, this is the first time that you've ever done that. Just say, God, will you show me what it's like to put Jesus at the center of my life? For some of you, that this, you may have never chosen to follow Jesus before. You've never turned from your own selfish way of doing things and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I accept the sacrifice that you've made for me. I want to live for you. Maybe today is that day for you to do that. For those of us who have made that decision, I pray that even in this moment, we would be saying, God, what is it that you want? How can I make Jesus more and myself less? So what I want to do, even, even as we have our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I would love to specifically pray for some of you here. Um, so if you have something in your life that you know, oh my goodness, I might not want to do this, but I know God is asking me to do this, to make Jesus more the center of my life. I would just ask you, if you know what that is and you want someone to pray for you, I want to do that right now. So um, could you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you? Yes, I see those. Yes, I see those hands. Yes, 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 I see those hands. Let me um, do that even in this moment. So Jesus, um, you see everything. You see our hearts. You know what season we're each in. And Lord, you have called us to rely on you, not ourselves. And as we prepare our hearts for you, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in significant ways. Lord, for each of these people that raise their hands, they each have different things going on in their lives. They each have a different season that they're walking through right now. And Lord, I pray that you would meet them, that you would give them the courage to face what they have to face, that you would give them the awareness to say, okay, Jesus, here it is. I'm going to turn this totally over to you, that you would give them a peace from you as well, that the decision that you're calling them to make is the right one. Lord, be with them as they make that. For all of us, Lord, as a church, will we know the way that you're directing us? Will we be comforted by your presence? And Lord, uh, may we be assured of your love for us more than anything else, that we would start from that place and move on from there. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Final word for you. For everybody here, God's not done with you yet. Have a great Sunday.